Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to Cow Beavers, number one podcast of all things crazy that Kagi loves. Where the fuck is Cow Beaver, they're all saying. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is very exciting. We'll talk about it shortly. It's probably our last episode in Cow Beaver, and we'll tell you why down the track. But uh, sitting across from me, the love of my life, Kagi, how you doing? Hi, Chip. I'm doing good. Well, that is good I'm to well. hear. Well, yes. I'm excited. I'm excited to get that. I read on a little blog that the best way to have. So I read this thing about how to have a successful podcast. Rule number one was uh, consistently putting out uh, organized content on time. Yes. We're real bad at that. Yeah, we're going to get we're better at that. Work at that. And we'll tell you how we're going to try and get better at that. Well, not tell no. you how. No. We'll just get a little we're more organized. Try and work on it. But Things before we get started. I've got a little challenge for you today, Zara Icebreaker. A challenge. You have 30 also, you seconds. Didn't me. Oh. Again. This is Kagi, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God. She's the one that puts it all together, and I just moonlight on the side. I feel like he's phoning it in now. Well, I am actually holding my phone because <laughs> I'm about to time you. You're going to time me. All right. What are we doing? All right. So you've got 30 seconds, and I don't know how this works because I've got to try and write these down as well. Oh, dear. To name. As many big things, big things in Australia. Oh, like the big statues. Big things, yeah. Big statues, okay. creations of big. I'm into it. But you can only name the ones that you've visited. Oh, fuck off. Okay, all right. Okay, on your marks. All right. All right I'm not going to time you. Let's just see what you. We're going to do thirty. That seems just ridiculous to time okay. you. Let's just. Go. All right. So some of the big stuff in all SA. Right. What have you visited? Right, big us. koala. Koala. Big lobster. Lobster, old lobby. Clam. Oh, the old clam. Where's the clam? Uh, oh, where is the clam? We stood inside it and took photos. Is it Sejuna? No, it's not Sejuna. I have to get back to you on the clam. Yeah, I can't remember what the big clam is. Uh, the big pineapple. Pineapple. The big mango. Ah, oh, big mango. We talked about that last week. That's pretty cool. The big gla. Gla. Where's that? Uh, that's in Kimba. Kimber. Yeah, Kimber. Kimber. Uh, the big sheep. Sheep. Uh, map the miner. Oh, map the miner. Mm-hmm. Um, where's where, where's map the miner? That's in Kapunda. Oh, Kapunda. We're talking about Kapunda. Uh, oh fuck. Big olive. Olive. Yeah, olive. Uh, Saw that on the way to Melbourne the other week. I think that is that all the big things I've seen. I think there's some bigger stuff. I reckon there might be like a there's big... Oh, the big rocking horse. Oh yeah, mm. in Lobethal. Lobeth- I mean, it's yeah. not far from here. Uh, I feel like that's it. That's it. There could be some other big stuff. There could but anyway, be so yeah, that's, that's pretty good. You've one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's ten. Hmm. Knock ten out. I don't know if you we would have done that in thirty seconds. I feel like if you were going to issue me a challenge, you should have had like. Had that all written down so that you would know if I'd missed one. Oh well, no, you probably have. Uh-huh. <laughs> no Rude. doubt. Um, so the koala is pretty cute. You have memories of travelling back from WA yeah. to uh, your your homeland, uh, Tassie, mm-hmm. um, and a picture standing in front of a big koala as a as a, a young wee whippersnapper. Mm-hmm. And we got to relive that we a couple did. of weeks ago. We took we a photo, did. not so young, and we at the front of a. I remember it being terrifying when I was a kid, and it did not disappoint yeah, in that no, regard. It, 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 why does it have glowing red eyes? Oh well, why is that necessary? I don't know. That is definitely a thing. 
So, yeah, that's pretty cool. We've got the koala lobster, the clam, the pineapple, the mango, the Australia koala, the sheep, the map, things. the olive. I think there's a big orange in there somewhere. I think we've seen the old Riverland. Maybe I've seen Maybe. that. The big, there's a big banana getting about. There is a big banana. I don't think we've seen the big banana, though. So, Matt. Why do we love our big things? Oh, I don't know. We're going to have to look into this a little bit. This could be like a bluey yarn. Yeah, it could why. well be. And I, I know that like do they many. do it a little bit in the States, but I don't think it's as much of a thing in other countries. I don't, I don't know. know. If you're from another country to Australia and you've and got you lots big of big things, things big let us know what you've got and Let why. us know. And, and, you know, I'd love to know if this is a, such a phenomena around the rest of the world or if it's just a... Everyone likes big shit. But, yeah. yes, we do have a... We do like our big things. Now, what what is Map the Miner? Map the Miner is a giant statue built to commemorate the copper mine, uh, the copper miners that like formed the town and used to live in the area. Yeah, and stuff what town the, is that? That's Kapunda. Oh, cool. So what's a cool, one of the cool things about Kapunda? Uh, the, one of the coolest things about Kapunda is that it's Australia's most haunted town. We oh, haven't Australia. done an episode yeah, on it yet. Well, I am going to, but I haven't done it yet because it's quite a big so one. So Kapunda's not far from here, about a 20-minute, 25-minute drive. And uh, the cool news that we have, uh, this probably being the last podcast in Cowbeaver, just out of Gawler, the next podcast will be... Probably coming. The next episode will probably be coming out of. It probably will be. Should we put it on the on? Oh, we're moving to Kapunda. We're moving moving to Kapunda. Does the rest of the world need to know it? I don't know. Is that safe? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. We're putting it out there. (laughs) So yeah, we just got ourselves a joint Kapunda. Very exciting. We did. Very exciting. Yeah, four pubs in the town, so it ticked mm. a few boxes. It did. If you fuck up in one, you've got another three. Exactly. So, yeah, we're pretty excited. So we are. We're very excited. A couple of weeks away from um, busting moves, so busy packing and, yeah, very exciting. Mm. Lots of work to be done. There is, which is why we're running a little late. We are running a little late. But excuses, excuses. Oh, look, if, you know, if excuses were horses, we'd all be eating steak. Well, exactly. All right, so Bluey's yarn today. Would you, would you like to hear a yarn? I'd love to hear a yarn. So it's my favourite part of the week. It's another yarn which is a comes from a place close to our hearts and mm-hmm. where well, we did live before we lived here in Bunbury, WA. Shout out, Bono. Shout out. Uh, so there is a resident, famous, probably yeah. more so now yes. over the last couple of years since they've opened it up to the public, the area. Um, um, are you talking about that kangaroo at the, at the talk, park? I'm not talking about the kangaroo. No. I'm talking about, so I'm talking about uh, a good old dingo. <gasps> He's been about for a while. His name, Marley. Marley. So, <gasps> Marley. So there's been a dingo floating about in sort of like the industrial area. Area down, sort of like the wharfy dock the kind of. Port, port. Not, yeah, yeah. He's on the port, isn't he? Yeah. You didn't really used to get in there much because. Mm. Um, it was all closed off, but they've just spent a bit of money down there two or three years ago and put a, a little um, boardwalk, and you can go down there and do a bit of fishing. And... Yeah, girl, Marley's a girl. I, think, I have no idea. Okay. I, all I know about is that it's Marley. So why is Marley such an interesting? So dingo in Australia is a is a wild native. Are they, are they native dogs? No, I don't think dog, dingoes are native. I think, I think they're technically native, but they came here. Yeah, over the, the land first bridge, of the dogs I here. Think, yeah. So they're, 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 they're a wild dog. And you find them mainly sort of up north. So we wouldn't have, you know, I've never seen a dingo down this far south in South Australia. No, they don't tend to come this way but unless you, they've been brought this way. Yeah, you do see them up around sort of Alice, upwards, obviously Darwin and all that sort of, and, all, and the uh, north of WA. And the reason these are so interesting is Bunbury South 
south end of WA. It gets a bit cold down there. So he's the resident dingo. And um, yeah, lives in the dock. Yeah, he's a cool looking dude. So look, he's been, he's uh, he's pretty getting pretty old now. I think he was, he was born in 2010. But to how he come to live in a Bunbury, have a bit of a story that we can share with you. Story? Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm so excited. So one of the cool things too about Marley is he's such a he's such a um, person. I don't know his personality, but uh, they've actually named the the last uh, rescue boat icon. after him. Yeah, an icon. So it's I the Marley that. the Marley rescue boat, the like marine rescue. Yeah, uh, whatever. The People. marine rescue boat. So he's got to Marley the dingo. Oh, is his cool. name of the boat. So we're going to talk about Marley and where yeah. he came from. So Marley was born approximately 2010. Mm-hmm. He was found near Fortescue Solomon um, Hub Mine. So that's oh, a, okay. so that's in the Pilbara, mm. uh, just out of Tom Price there. So a fair way away from where he sort of resides. Um, supposedly his uh, mum was skittled by a car Aww. and there was three pups and they were uh, Really, really young, and I think Marley was the only one to survive. Aww. He hid between some rocks, oh, and um, Marley's buddy uh, got hold of him and looked after him for a while. He wasn't eating solid food, just still on milk. Aww. I know. Anyway, very cute. It's <laughs> a very sad start. So old mate used to take him to work with him because he didn't know what to do with him, look after him. He was a loader driver in the mines, and uh, he used to sit in the loader, and he was just small enough he'd fit in the – Oh, small esky, this kind of thing, and uh, used, used to pop. used to uh, beat him on iced coffee. So Bugger <laughs> knows how he survived. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's but, probably uh, lucky he hasn't got diabetes. And that, and that was pretty much his first name, and we'll talk about that in a sec when I get down to it. But uh, yeah, lived on iced coffee, and then when he finished his swing, he brought him home uh, to meet the family um, at Harvey. So Harvey's uh, about oh. half hour. East of, uh, of of Bunbury, yeah. So he would have. Um, I don't know if he flew down. Flew down with him. I don't know who would have got he him would. home. He'll that would be interesting. He'd be five. So he'd be five. be interesting uh, to know the. I mean, he probably put him in a cargo. Yeah, or don't know. Maybe pocket. smuggled him in his bag or. Something. So he got him home, and he's met by two loving kids, um, and a five-year-old, another five-year-old dog, and a seven-year-old dog. And they all got on really well, and they uh, named him Marley after. The kids named him Marley after the movie they'd been watching of a mysterious Labrador named Marley, which was quite fitting because up until that point, old mate was calling him Browns after the iced coffee he had been drinking and (laughs) feeding Marley on up until that point. That's so cute. So Marley was a pretty cute little puppy, got on with the kids, even letting the kids dress him up and all that sort of stuff. So, and, And anybody that knows dingoes, dingoes are, you know, they're not... They're not dogs. Yeah, they're not. They're not domesticated dogs. Yeah, so that's like must the first pretty... thing they teach you. Like if you have a dingo or if you've got a dingo cross, dingoes are not dogs. Yeah, they they don't function in the same way. No, exactly. Mm. So he's a bit of a cute dog. He used to uh, knock off always one of the pair of shoe and <laughs> chew extension leads and Aww. and turn like the kids' room into his den and all that sort of all that sort of stuff. Uh, once he chewed up um, old mate's wife's seat in a Nissan Patrol because oh, she locked no. him in. So he's a bit of an escape artist. He didn't oh. like being hemmed in. He didn't like to well, be kept to the back of the... Yeah, so he chewed up a seat and would do what he could to get away. <laughs> Just have a look around. So as he grew, he always 
went everywhere with him. He went out on the boat fishing. He went skiing, camping. He loved running beside motorbikes. And, you know, he just loved that sort of free and easy sort of life. And I'm not quite sure what happened with old mate here, but he ended up uh, buying himself an old World War II Navy vessel. Hmm. And things changed for Marley. So, And then they moved from the farm and a large farmhouse to a little boat in Bunbury in 2013. Oh. So three years. So, he, I don't know, they might have... Yeah. All moved or busted up, but who knows? So he took Marley a little while to adapt to, as dingoes don't like being moved around as much. No, they stay in the same. They they uh, they they pretty much stay in the same yeah, area. They're territorial, aren't they? Very territorial, supposedly. And uh, he wasn't a massive fan of large groups of people, so yeah, there'd be more sense. people down the down the docks. And mm. but anyway, he was living in a boat. So over time, he learnt to climb the ladder up out of the boat and he wasn't uh, too keen on climbing down. He'd often wait in the mornings to be carried down oh, during the restoration of the boat. Um, Marley has uh, managed to lay in in everything. He used to get he used to mischievous dog he was. He'd lay in fiberglass resin and paint and <laughs> he would lay in all sorts of smelly stuff and that would mean it would be bath time and he particularly hated a bath. He'd, that's when he'd carry on and make his most noise. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he lived a pretty good life. Um, so in the time Marley has been at the Outer Harbour, he has made many friends and uh, has also had a few run-ins with the local rangers, no doubt, because they want to know what's going on. He wouldn't have a collar. and Oh, well, he might have a collar then, but he doesn't have a collar now because he's a, a free pickle. Mm-hmm. He's a free-range pickle. So at that stage, a couple of years after that, he had to move the boat from the Bunbury Yard into an Australian into the Australind area and have taken Marley to a new block several times and he is fine at night on the boat. But during the day, he would pace backwards and forth along the fence, whinging and howling. Mm, not ideal. No. And he would look at the top of the fence and he knew he could jump it. So from that point on, I think he kind of said, buggy you. Not buggy you, but this is not where I want to live. And mm. he uh, bummed it back to Bunbury and has been living at the Outer Harbour oh, he's Marley, ever since. Marley Rotler just like heel-toed it back yeah, to the Yeah, so he was, part of a, he was part of a family from what I can understand mm. and, um, yeah, decided that he didn't, he didn't like living moving around anymore. He liked the harbour and... He went yeah. back there on his own accord. So, and he'll bug around. He'll get up and That's down the so beach. And... Do you know, I'd always heard that a sailor had tried to get him out on a Navy ship and failed to do so and just left him there. That, yeah, that okay. was like the sort of urban legend getting around. Yeah, no, I didn't it was a local, local family and who had a passion for boats mm. and lived. he lived on a boat for he a bit. He didn't like being on the boat. So he on the boat, boat. So... I wonder if his original owner, like, still... Yeah, still be around. Checks in on him and I'd say like, so. So I think you know, he says on pictures on um, line and stuff of him. But yeah, so he so, gets he gets around the Outer Harbour. Anybody can visit so him cool. if he wants to visit you. Yeah, he, he come and have a look with you dogs, when you're at your fishing spot. Other dogs don't bother him, and mm-hmm. he's not bothered so, by yeah. much. He just lives out there. Used to be called Browns because of the yeah, iced coffee. Now his name's so Marley. Cool. I do know that the Rangers have been called out by people that don't know Marley yeah, before. They, they've, they've called the Ranger and said there's a stray dog a or yeah. they've, they've gotten scared because it's a dingo. And the Rangers go out and feed him. They do. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's and that's yeah, it's a pretty it's cool thing. He just gets around. He's just doing he's, his own thing. He doesn't actually bother anyone. He's not so. fussed by anybody. No. He's just getting we've seen him a number of times. Yeah, and, people chuck him a bit of bait sometimes. Yeah. Make sure he's got water. I've seen the Rangers parked up. Hmm. feeding him kibble out of the car, just chucking him a couple of bits. I hope we don't get anyone in trouble for saying that. 
What's that? <laughs> that we've seen the Rangers feeding him kibble out of the car. <laughs> yeah, oh, probably. That's probably not. <laughs> nah. We haven't seen anything. <laughs> I think with our limited follower base love, I'm um, sure it won't get back to him um, when it does. Yeah, it'll be far too late. Right, yeah. But yeah, he's got a boat named after him. There has yes. been a bit of a. I think there's been a bit of a talk about the public wanting to to get a statue of oh, Marley. Like have the Red Dog in Dampier. Dampier. Yeah, like huh, Red Dog in Dampier. Cool. So I have a, a Marley sort of a, like a tribute to Marley because if he was if he's sort of roughly 2010, he'd be he's like 12 years yeah, old now. I don't know how long old. Dingo's. I don't know what their lifespan is now. Yeah, but I don't know if his condition's... Well, like he wouldn't have a nice saw, warm home. Dad sent me a photo of him last time he was out there. Yeah. And... Um, he, he looked all right. He's looking a yeah, bit old, looking... but he's not missing any hair or anything like that. He he's still walking years around. And yeah, and stuff. He's still getting about. Yeah. So, anyway, that's uh, the story of Marley and Bunbury. If that's you're cool. ever in Bunbury getting about the southwest of WA, go check him out. Good job, love. That was cool. Very interesting. I didn't know any about that, of that about Marley. Old so, rounds. Yeah, that's nice. Old yeah. rounds. That's cool. Yeah, Marley. Oh. That's the Marley talk. Good job. Well, Bluey. Yes. I eased you into it last episode with a nice fun cryptid Ooh, to eased. sort of like slide us into the new year. Yep. This week, though, Australian. you better hang on to your butt, Bluey. Bad hell. Because it's going to get a little dark in here. Dark and scary. So when I, whenever I talk to anyone, get some feedback on the show, a lot of people say that their most the episodes that they most enjoyed oh. was our three-part expose on ronald ryan remember oh, that yes i do a lot of people say they really enjoyed that so we're going to do it again three-parter on ronald ryan again not on ronald ryan we're going to do a new person yeah, getting another run right. yeah we're going to tell the story all over again but from the perspective of his shoes yeah i get it no no we're going to do another three-part expose the right one long to the left oh they only saw each other in fleeting glances after one step and the next. The only time they got to spend any real time together was when they were alone in the bottom of the closet. Yeah, I can see Very it romantic. Yeah. Very romantic. I like it a lot. Um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a story with soul. It's yeah. <laughs> oh, to- one of the few times that you're pretty funny. Nice work. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm funny as fuck. So bit of a disclaimer right at the top of the show and i'm only going to do it once oh i'll probably do it next time as well um usually my true crime stories are a bit older a bit more historical this one is oh, slightly more recent well it happened in the 60s but i mean the victims families are still kind of out there so listen with precaution yes you know all that sort of thing. It also gets pretty dark in places, so it's up to you, to our dark cider. If you decide that it, this story is not for you, we'll understand, and we'll see you in three episodes' time. I had originally planned it, but when I started writing this story, I realised that it was pretty good, and there was a lot more to it. And so I decided three parts was going to be the, the way go. that it goes. All right, I'm strapped in. All right, are you ready? Perth. Western Australia, shout out to Perth friends and family. Whoa. So it's the 25th of February, 1931, in an inner southeast suburb called Victoria Park. Did you spend much time in Vic Park when you lived in Perth, Blue? 
Yeah, Victoria Park, is that the one top of the hill? Is that? I think so. Yeah, oh, Victoria Park is beautiful. They've got the botanical mm. gardens up there. Oh, nice. They've got a really nice view of the city and over the swan. And beautiful. Yeah, Definitely a must visit. Um, Very scenic. There's a coffee shop up there to get yeah. a bit of grub, but uh, yeah. Nice walk up there. I don't know what it was like in 1931, but probably just as nice. Maybe. Probably more trees than there are now, if anything. Yeah. So at the hospital, a family is having the first of three kids, but it's not your standard happy nuclear family. It never fucking is in our stories, is it? Easily. If it, if it was, it wouldn't be a three-part expose. So this family is violent and dysfunctional as fuck. Oh, straight into it. Yep. The father is a violent, abusive alcoholic named Vivian Cook. Cook. And he's only agreed to marry the mother of the new child, Christine, a battered woman, because she was pregnant. Oh, wow. With the child that they named Eric Edgar Cook. Edgar. Does that ring any bells? Eric Edgar Cook. I cannot believe that you have lived in Perth and not heard that name. I probably would have heard the name, but I'm not putting together the clues as yet. Okay, that's all right. I'm going to put together the clues for you. That's the whole point of the podcast. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric grew up being beaten relentlessly by his father, the beatings being especially violent when he tried to protect his mother, who would often sleep at work at the Como Hotel to avoid having to go home and have the shit kicked out of her. Wow. So he's off to a really rough start already. On top of all of this, Eric was born with a facial condition known as a cleft lip and palate, and although he had two surgeries over the course of his childhood, they never were fully successful and he was left with a slight facial deformity. Sure. And it caused him to mumble and led to him being horribly bullied. So he cops it at home and he cops it at school. The combination of his school and home abuse left him shy and emotionally unstable, and it wasn't long before he started acting out. He was expelled at six, six years old. He was expelled from Subiaco State School for pinching money from a teacher's purse. Cool. Yeah. He was sent to Newcastle Street Infant School, where the bullying only intensified. I imagine that in these early days, like, I don't think bullying was something that they gave two shits about. No. I, I think, think they were pretty fine with a, it. Yeah, probably a little bit more violent. Mm, I imagine so. So he was transferred to several schools, but sadly the bullying followed him wherever he went. Yeah. Throughout his childhood, Eric would either hide under the house or roam the streets at night to avoid his father, and he was once or twice placed into foster care or orphanages but always ended up back in his family home where he would be hospitalised often with head trauma and even had suspected brain damage. Wow, from his beatings. As a result of these beatings, yeah. He would suffer constant headaches and blackouts, which eventually landed him in an asylum in 1949. He underwent an operation which eased both of the um, both of those symptoms, so I'm not really sure what that would have entailed. Poke a hole and drain something out maybe. Yeah, lobotomy. Maybe. So, I mean, people can be fully functional after a lobotomy if it's done properly and go on to have normal lives. There's a really good book about a guy who had a lobotomy when he was young and just went on to have a normal ah, life. A lobotomy yeah. advocate. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for lobotomies. <laughs> this is where you find out how fucked up I am. <laughs> I'll get the poster board and pens and glitter out, love. No, oh, Absolutely. <laughs> So anyway, I'm not a doctor, which I think we could, we've just established. <laughs> so I can't be sure 
uh, what was involved in that, if he had like some kind of swelling on his brain or something like that. I don't really know and I couldn't really find it. He was also in a hor- he was also horribly accident prone and that, again probably for the same reason and he was often injured. It's thought that he also had repressed suicidal desires and this led him to being quite accident prone maybe yeah. on purpose. At 14 he leaves school and he gets a job as a delivery boy for the Central Provision Stores. He starts bringing in a little bit of money to support his mum. His dad has a good job but wouldn't give her any of his pay. So his mum was cooking and cleaning for money and it wasn't very much. Could imagine what would have been Mm. the conditions and the money would have been back. Pretty pretty rough, yeah, hard lifestyle. However, due to his accident proneness, he often had accidents at work and would end up hospitalised and then unemployed again. Holy moly, he's had a few trips to the hospital this year. He's fucking in and out of hospital a lot. Not like the pudding. He must like the pudding. So when working at Harris Scarf, Remember Harris Scarf? Is Harris Scarf still a thing? Well, I don't know. I, there was it's been Har- a long fucking time. Yeah, I don't know. I presume Harris have to be. Mm. I reckon there was one in Frio that only closed down recently. Yeah, I remember. It's certainly when one I was in Adelaide. Young. I don't know if it's still in Adelaide. Harris Scarf. Mm, I don't know. It's interesting. But anyway, he used to work at Harris Scarf, and he got hit in the face by a swinging winch. What's Harris Scarf? What was Harris Scarf? Oh, Harris Scarf was a department store. Yeah, and they did clothing and hats and gloves and yeah. All sorts you know, of stuff. You stuff could, like that, yeah, yeah, you could buy anything in there. Lots of clothes and yeah. fragrances and makeups and that sort of thing. Yeah, Myers kind of. Yeah. But for you know the nineteen forties. Yeah. So yeah, while he's working there, he gets hit in the face by a swinging winch. Ouch. At sixteen, he was a hammer boy at a blacksmith workshop. That's fucking recipe for disaster. He'd be guns uh, on it. There he suffers second-degree burns to his face. Wow. Which probably left him scarred, I dare say. He jarred his right hand and injured his left thumb. May I suggest a job at a bubble wrap company? Yeah, he's uh, what, what, he's, running out of, company. he's running out of opportunities. He's, he is, yeah, he's run out of digits. There's way more of these, but that's just like a couple of examples yep. to give you the idea of sort of where he's at. Yeah, that he has... Uh... He's not one of the lucky ones. He's had a pretty he tough life from beginning till now. Mm. Things did not look, you know, he's had the, he's basically had the worst of everything that everything had to offer. Pretty much, yeah. Sounds of it. He's been given a shit sandwich right from day one. Yeah, but without the nice bit in the middle. Which one's the, which bit's the nice bit? The well, shit. the shit sandwich, you give someone a shit sandwich, you say, oh, okay, yeah. you go, oh, no, the nice bits are on the outside. Shits in the middle, so you might say something like, "You know, you did that job really, really well. But could you please work on your time management because you've been late work late for work ah. for the last three weeks? But I really like your attitude. That's the shit sandwich. So he's not getting. He's just getting like. He's just getting the shit. He's just getting the shit. He's not getting <laughs> any nice bits of bread on either side. He's just like, here it is. You know, that's yep. Here's all yeah, of the shit. Hold your hand out because that's just mm. how you getting it. So now he's 17 and he's spending his nights out on the streets looking in people's windows. Ah, peeper. Yeah, he's just, you know, fucking miserable, I'd say. Yeah. So he's watching women get changed. Oh, and cranking it. Probably. Watching people living their lives, families having dinner, watching TV, things like that. This is something he does right through his life from here, from this point. Probably looking at other people's lives. Oh, I can. 
sure we can all understand why he's doing that, having heard a little bit of what his life was like. It's fairly obvious why he's watching people live their lives. Watching women get changed is just a a red flag. He's a young man. He's a young man, yeah. I don't think you can justify that behaviour, though. Didn't have Google back then. I mean, that's true. So he also starts to engage in petty crime, such as arson and vandalism, standard stuff for 17, really, I suppose. He starts breaking into houses. I've written hoses. That's not right. Lighting fires in them, stealing shit, and just being a fucking menace. Yeah. But he lands himself in jail for 18 months after he burns down a fucking church. Okay. What sort so of church? So here we fucking go. Well, I mean, it's it's probably like the 50s at this point. So what was the big pescatarian? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. Wait, isn't a pescatarian someone that just eats fish? <laughs> a pescatarian church. Because <laughs> is... there's a picture of a fish on the door. Yeah, burn it to the ground. <laughs> so he does this after he's rejected for the church choir after auditioning. Fucking bit of an overreaction, don't yeah. you reckon? Maybe. But I was thinking about this, and I think at this point in his life, he's just needing to be accepted by someone, and rejection just kind of sends him over the edge. Yeah. Just not able to cope with it anymore. Like his brain's not wired in that way anymore uh, after years of. Abuse. Treatment and abuse. So he does his jail stint and then he proceeds to break into houses and steal valuables again. And he must have been out of church, isn't bad though. That's not bad. Really? It could have been worse, I suppose. I guess no one was in it. Nah. That might have been a different story. For sure. So he steals any valuables that he can find. After a short period, these break ins begin to escalate and he starts damaging clothing and furniture. He's just damaging. fucking. In, he, Huh? Damaging. Damaging. Yeah, vandalising. Oh, okay, yes. Um, I read one where he – oh, I've got it here. I'll tell you in a second. He's just fucking angry dude at this point. He'd cut He'd cut out any newspaper reports and show them to people and try and impress them. About him. About his break-ins. Yeah. So he's yeah. trying to – he just, wants, just, he just, he just wants a buddy. He does. Yeah, that's exactly right. He decides to celebrate his 18th birthday by engaging in his favourite activity. He breaks into a nearby flat and sets fire to a woman's dresses. Yeah, he also right. branches out into the fun new activity of shitting in a doll's cot. <laughs> <laughs> so he's wilding. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. cool. I read one where he pulled out all a woman's, like all these dresses from this woman's cupboard and pissed all over them. Like it's yeah, just, wow. he's just mental. Yeah, that's not fair. Pooing in things though. That's... Yeah, he went into the little kid's room and catch on. copped a squat on the cot. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that would tickle you. Yeah, wow. So police catch up to him on the 12th of March, 1949. I don't know if that date's correct, but let's go with it. After he's caught by a neighbour breaking into his house. When they raid his nana's place where he's hiding, they find evidence stashed there. Booze. His fingerprints. What's a booze? Probably. All oh, booze. I've seen this poo before, yeah. lads. I recognise this poo print. <laughs> His fingerprints are used to connect him to a string of like unsolved white cases. squabbly line on the ground in the <laughs> shape of a like this poo that's just Oh no, he's not getting past the poo anytime soon, no. folks. So they use his fingerprints to connect him to a string of unsolved cases and he's sentenced to three years this time oh, in prison. He's, having a run. he's gonna learn some things. Oh, I hope so. After being found guilty of arson, vandalism, stealing, seven breaking and entering charges. Yeah. And Probably shitting in a cot. Yeah. I wonder, like, that was, like, the one example, but I wonder if that was a thing he did often from that point, if he often 
chat in people's houses or if that was just a one-off. You might have something dodgy for dinner. We don't know. Well, you'd have to get your timing, right? Yeah, you would, yeah. Like, do you stick about and wait for them to go out and then do you hang around for two or three hours till you need a crap? Or... I think it was just an opportunity box go, kind of thing. He goes, well, if I eat this sausage... Uh-oh. It's going to make me go to the toilet, so I'm going to eat it 45 minutes before the crime. He might because, have planned it like uh, that. I don't yeah, know. so somebody should definitely hire him, give him a job because he's got skills. Apparently. Mm. So apparently the case was a slam dunk as he had, had left he had left a shitload of clues and fingerprints at every same Unfortunately we see this a lot though. Um, this teaches teaches criminals how to be more careful in the future. You're essentially creating better and more efficient criminals. Yeah, like, They're just learning how to not get caught. It's like killing spiders in your home. Exactly. Supposedly. Then you're just fucking leaving the smart spiders so that don't get seen. So they reckon. So he's sentenced to three years, but released on probation after three months. <laughs> so what they're doing at this point is good teaching him how to get better oh, at this I was trying to make shit. a pun about good pooper roll or good. Oh, it's not coming to me. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. That's all right. I appreciate that you tried, though. Mm. When he's 21, Cook joins the army. He's obviously looking for, like, structure and acceptance and stuff like that. He's in the army for three months. Three months. That's it. Yeah. He's discharged when they discover his criminal record. Oh, okay. However, not before he gets promoted to Lance Corporal. So he must have, like, been pretty good (sighs) in the army. Yeah, he Forrest Gump that shit. He did. And he's taught to handle... Firearms, and he's proved to be an excellent shot and very proficient with firearms. He's focused. Which is perfect. That's what we need for this guy. Yeah. So at this point in his life, he's at this point in his life, he's described as a short, slight man with wavy dark hair and a twisted mouth. Looker. So he's, he went to the army. They kicked him out yeah. after three months after teaching him how to be proficient with a at, gun. With a gun. And then finding out that he was a criminal. Yeah. Mm. So. Does this gun thing come up again or is it? I mean, it's a bit foreshadowing, yes. Oh, well, there you go. Mm. Good on you, Army. Right. Thanks, guys. Do you want to see a picture of our man? Yes, I'd like to see a picture All of right. our... Here's a picture of... That's a bit of a head for radio, really. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to be any more mean to like him it. at this point, but... He just looks like an unfortunate fellow. He looks like he's had a fucking hard life. In this photo, I don't think he's ever experienced hope or something to look forward to. He's just had a real fucking dismal go, hasn't he? He's just thinking one day it's got to get better than what it is. And there's Norfolk pine trees in the background. That's true. Is it real? Really? Boom, I'm a tree identifier. You are. You get your tree identification badge in the mail this week. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's Eric. Hmm. And you've haircut. never seen his face? Oh, maybe. Look, I... It really does surprise me. Yeah, I don't pay attention well to a lot of things that I probably should in life myself. Okay. That's okay. Because that's what you've got me for. Yes. I know his face. Thank you. November 14th, 1953. He's 22 now, and he marries Sarah, sometimes called Sally Laven. Oh, Sally sounds it's like she's pretty had a hard life and she's settling down with him too. Well, I think he kind of was a little bit charming oh, in really? his own sort of rough yeah. cut way. 
But they proceed to have a fucking army of kids. Army of kids? Yeah, they have seven of the bastards. Mad Ruder. Yeah. So four of them are boys and three of them are girls. But don't be fooled, he's not settled down. You're not settled down? No. After the birth of their first kid, his wife begins to say that the man that she thought was a good bloke was actually cruel, violent, and a womanizer. Monkey see, monkey do. Exactly. Well, that's what I was thinking. He was known to go out on the town all dressed up without his wedding ring and pick up chicks. He was also known to steal cars and follow girls home. What a scoundrel. Mm. Friends and family attempted to convince her to leave him, but she remained loyal to him. And who knows, maybe she was scared as well. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons that women stay with men that they're scared of. Fear is probably number one. Maybe she didn't want to be alone with fucking seven kids. Yeah, I get that. It sounds like she was probably alone a lot anyway. Well, yeah. At this time, it's common for people to leave their cars and houses unlocked, and so it's easy for him to just do shit like steal cars at night. Sometimes he'd bring them back before daylight after a joyride. Sometimes not. Yeah. Just depends what he felt like doing. What's the try out in the new 1947? Exactly. Chevy. He's going for a fucking drive around. Hold and bring some out next month. Have a crack of that. In September of 1955, he crashes one of these cars whilst chasing a former girlfriend to Bunbury. Oh, Baba. Bunbury gets another mention Bunbury. in this episode. Pew, 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 pew. So he ends up in hospital, after which he is sentenced to two years hard labour for unlawful use of a motor vehicle. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hard labour sounds shit. Two years, too. You wouldn't get that here now. No, God, no. Fuck up a fair bit to get a couple of years. Yeah, that's true. But from some for some reason, he ends up being released from Fremantle Prison just before Christmas of 1956. At this point, though, he takes to wearing gloves during his crimes to avoid leaving fingerprints. Yeah. He's he's learning. He's switched on. Yeah. He was known to police at this time as what they call the tea and sugar thief. Oh, so he had a name. He had a name. He has a few names before this story is done. Wow. Yeah. Meaning he was just a petty thief that stole meaningless shit. Yes. And a lot of little importance, kind of more of a menace than anything else. He didn't really, he even kind of had a bit of a rapport with the cops who would often arrest him. They they called him Cookie. Cook. That was his nickname. Cookie. One September night, things escalate a little bit. He starts off his evening the same way he always did. He'd hit up the town a bit and chat up women. Then he'd prowl around the window, the neighbourhood, peeking in windows at people, trying to see a pair of boobs. Yep. We're getting the heaviest curtains possible. When we get our own house, by the way, I fucking hate this shit. It's so creepy. The idea of someone looking in our windows at night has always just chilled me. To the spot. It's always been a scary thought. I get my agates out. Get your agates out. That'd do. Give him a show. He'd break into a few places and then he'd steal a little bit of shit, maybe light a fire or something. Not enough that even most people would notice immediately. Did he ever poo in a letterbox? No, I don't. Not that I know of. He might have, and they just didn't know it was him. But I don't think so. Um, and then he'd steal a car. This particular evening, he's on a joyride. He's on his joyride, and he spots a woman riding her bike in Hillview Terrace. He pulls over the car and kind of watches her. He uh, kind of he, he watches her kind of pedal away, and then he launches the car into full speed and chases her down, knocking off her, knocking her off her bike and Jeez. flying through the air before landing headfirst on the road. Wow. He speeds away, leaving her lying in the road with a bicycle stuck in the grill of the car, which he abandons about a mile away, before heading home for the night. 
drivers have hated cyclists for a very, a very long, long time. time. <laughs> she wasn't, to be fair, she wasn't in a pack of 20 headed to the nearest cafe. like Riding through your breast. Absolutely. Gaggling away. Yeah. Uh, so the woman's found about 45 minutes later by a person driving by and the police in Ambrose are called and she's rushed to the Royal Perth Hospital. Hit and run. Yeah. The police find the car and the bike dumped and also recognise the car had been stolen. The woman's name is Nell Schneider. Schneider. She'd been on her way home from choir practice and she ends up in a coma for two weeks with severe damage to her brain. She spends a further two weeks in hospital before she's allowed to continue her recovery at home. As a result of her injuries, though, she develops a chronic post-traumatic temporal load epilepsy. Jesus. That was fucking hard to say. And it causes severe blackouts and seizures and affects the rest of her life. Oh, my God. A few months later, a teenage girl named Molly McLeod. That's a fucking Aussie name. Molly McLeod. That's a beautiful name. Yeah. Saddle Molly up. McLeod. Saddle up your pony moles and take it moles. That's a, see, we got to bring that name back. That's great. Yeah, I love the name, Molly. So she's sleeping in her bed when Cook rummage, is rummaging through her house. After popping outside for a piss, he comes back in and the back door, like, makes a noise as he opens it and Molly starts to wake up. So Cook hits her over the head, knocking her out and fracturing her skull. Jeepers. This poor thing, right? She goes to bed at night and she wakes up with a fractured skull and blood everywhere all over her bed and all over her and she's got no idea what happened to her. How fucking scary is that? That's pretty scary. She had no memory of, of getting hit. She just woke up in her bed with a fractured fucking skull. How do we know about her then? Because she survived. Yeah, but she didn't know what happened to her. Because he gets caught. Okay. We, we'll hear about his... Okay, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> I object. <laughs> no. <laughs> quiet in the court. <laughs> so her parents took her to the family doctor who confirmed that her skull was fractured but could shed no light on what happened. It was years before they find out what happens to her. Oh. How much would that fuck you up? That is so fucking traumatic, that poor thing. Yeah, you wouldn't want to go to sleep. You... Oh, it's fucked. And oh. no doubt it left her with lingering side effects. Oh, for sure. It, oh, poor fucking thing. That's so fucking traumatic. If you can't feel safe when you're sleeping. Oh, it, it's it's fucked, isn't it? Yeah, you, it, you, it's tough to feel safe ever. Yeah, it is. In December of 1958... Cook feels the urge to commit a violent crime again. He's starting to feel a bit of an itch. So he, he'd been doing his standard breaking and entering shit all this time, but now he wants to hurt someone again. Hmm. So he steals another car and he's driving. It's interesting because he's, he's the classic example of an escalator. Yeah. He starts off as a peeping Tom, which is a place that a lot of these assholes start. And then it just gradually gets builds more and, and builds more and builds. Violent and, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's textbook, but his crimes are different. So he's he's done oh, a hit, yeah, he's, he's done a hit and run. So he didn't have a he didn't get a chance to have a, an emotional connection with a hit and run. I think at this but then point he's breaking he's just into an rooms. Yeah, and he's breaking yeah. into houses and beating. Yeah, where he's a little bit, you know, his yeah, choice think, of weapon yeah. is a lot different. I think he's just an opportunist at this point, and now he's starting yeah. to realize that he kind of likes hurting people. Okay. So he steals another car and he's driving in Belmont. Awesome. When he sees a woman walking home alone. Her name is Kathy Ballas. Hang on. Have we talked about this? Is this? No. The last one was a lady on a push bike. Yeah, no, no. Not this particular one. But did he, is he still alive, this fella? 
No. No, okay. No, this was... Uh, It'd be very hot if he was. Are you thinking of the Claremont serial Possibly, killer? sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, that's okay. That's all right. We'll probably do an episode on him at some point. But, yeah. you know, well, maybe. So her name is Kathy Bellis, and she's just, just knocked off from her job as a waitress. Yes. She's hopped off the bus and was almost home. Usually her husband would pick her up, but tonight her bus had run late and not wanting to leave their three very small kids at home, he'd been and gone. So the streets were dark and deserted. She pulls a flashlight from her handbag to help her find her way home. And as she does so, she hears a car engine behind her. She turns, thinking it might be her husband, Phil. But instead, she sees a bed up old ute. She doesn't recognise it. As she's stepping into the side of the road to allow the ute room to pass, it speeds up. She watches in horror as the headlights bear down on her from the dark and she starts to pick up her pace running off the road and into the paddock. The car continues to chase her. He, she hits top speed and is sprinting as hard as she can through this paddock and can hear the ute gaining on her from behind. The ute hits her small figure and throws her 60 feet or 90 metres wow. and she lays where she fought, fell. With no. pain filling her body, she hears the ute stop. Cook gets out and approaches her. She can see his silhouette in the headlights and she begins to beg him. Please don't leave me here or I'll die. Jesus. To which he starts laughing. Then he gets in his car and he drives away. Wow. A neighbour hears the kerfuffle. Kerfuffle is a word that needs to come back. Yeah, we need to use Sidebar. more kerfuffles. And he calls the police. She was rushed to the hospital where they discovered that she has a broken pelvis, Ooh. broken leg, Fuck. broken knee, fractured spine and a fractured skull. Jeez, she also fuck. has pieces of metal embedded in her face and neck. Wow. But she survived. Fucking hardcore. Police begin investigating the hit and run, initially suspecting her husband because the husband is always the first one they look yeah. at, Bluey, just yeah. so you know. Yeah, dudes are pricks on her, I get it. His van is full of dents, but he was cleared when they find the abandoned car a few miles away that Cook had dumped. There's no connection at this point made between the three attacks between Kathy and yeah. Nell and, and Molly. But, uh, I mean, they'll work together eventually. Yeah, yeah. A month passes before Cook feels the urge to strike again. His wife has just given birth to their fifth child at this point, so he feels like celebrating. He goes to the pub for a couple off the wood and then heads out for a good prowl around. Oh, that's his. Doing his usual it. shit. He just loves have, it. just had a baby. I want to fuck some shit up. Absolutely. So on this night in January, he steals a knife with an 18-inch blade off a bike in Wembley. So obviously he's, like, planning on fucking some shit up at this point. He ends up at a block of flats and can see a woman sleeping in her bed through the window. He enters the flat, looking for anything valuable to steal before he goes into the sleeping woman's bedroom. This woman is 33-year-old Panina Berkman. She works the perfume counter at David Jones and she's known to be a very glamorous, well-liked lady. Yes, she would, David Jones, perfume counter. That was a big deal back in the day. Yeah. She's sleeping naked, he's delighted to find. Yeah, well. And alone in the flat to cook to his joy. So Panina hears Cook moving around in her bedroom and he's, she stirs. In a panic, Cook begins stabbing, which I don't know if this is a panic because he had the knife because he planned on hurting yeah. someone. I'm just going to say that now. So he began stabbing Panina. She puts up one fuck of a fight and yep. she screams loudly, drags her fingernails down his face, leaving three deep scratches. Oh, yeah, a bit of scratchy scratch. 
He stabs her over and over again until he hits her heart and she collapses. He leaves the flat, leaving the door open and Panina dead, dumps the knife down a drain and abandons the car he'd stolen earlier that night. Her boyfriend finds her body the next day, but not on the bed where Cook had left her. She'd managed to drag herself to the door in search of aid, but it was there that she was overcome by her injuries and she bled out. Poor Jeeves. It's fucking rough, eh? So this murder is massive news. Yeah, the media yeah. focuses on the details because they're so salacious, like she was sleeping nude and her boyfriend had been over that night and all that yeah. fucking seedy, gross stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they make it this, like, seedy, tabloidy story. You know how the media do sometimes, yes. especially back in those days. Recently there's been a push to look at this story as it should be rather than a seedy tabloid smear. Um Yeah, exactly. The crime took place in a time in criminology where there's no DNA evidence and stuff. Yeah. So, like, investigations struggle a little bit. There's blood at the scene, but aside from, like, a blood type, it's – I don't know if they could tell if he was a secretor or a non-secretor. Yeah. But – which – do you know what a secretor or a non-secretor No, is? I do not know. So – A dribbler. Sure, why not? Uh, no, so we talk about semen. No, it's okay. not. It's not about semen. It's Poo. about blood. Okay. It's just about your blood and right. and whether or not you secrete basically booey. A secretor is said to be someone that secretes a type of antigen into their blood, like uh, oh, it, so it's someone who secretes their blood into or like the antigens from their blood into their saliva and their mucus oh, and other bloody, yeah. bodily fluids. So if you've got a sample of their saliva, you can get their blood okay. as well. It's oh. just a, yeah, it's a DNA thing. Um, so, yeah, there's blood at the scene, but aside from the blood type, it's not really very helpful. Neighbours heard Panina's screams between 2.45 and 3 a.m. and people have reported sighting a prowler the night before trying to get into the houses not too far up the road. Okay. There's no prints because he wears his gloves now. He's a glove man. He's a glove man. A colonial inquest is launched and then put on hiatus to allow the police to gather more evidence and sort of investigate further. Yeah. Cook's not worried, though. He feels pretty confident that he can't be caught. He tells his wife that he got the three scratches when he was playing play, in a play fight with his son and it got a little bit rowdy. His son scratched his face. Okay. No one suspected anything of him and his spree continues. So he does a bit more. Next week. Oh, what? Hmm. Jeepers. That's all I have for you this week, Darksiders. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll leave all of my references for the final yeah. episode rather than do them every He's week. He's a man about town. He's a man about time. So what are your initial impressions of Eric Edgar Cook? Well, I'm surprised he's got kids mm. in the sense of the uh, picture you were painting earlier, which was a very good one, made him sound pretty undesirable so yeah for him to have children i think he met her at church as well i'm sure that's what i read not the one he burnt down hopefully no but uh yes i'm enjoying this story i'm enjoying the the drama yeah all right guys well that's it for us this week and then i will be back next week with the (laughs) follow-up episode daisy chain out to follow the shenanigans of i don't think you call them shenanigans at this point i think the shenanigan part's over with yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk more about Edgar Allan Cook next week. Don't you pick up Google and start reading about him. <laughs> Don't Wait Google for me Cookie. to tell you, all right? Yeah. She's got some stuff. Darksiders. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. And we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye. See ya.